0: I'm as nowhere as I can be Could you add some somewhere to me Oh, Kansas, I'm kneeling Oh, Kansas, please Hello and welcome to episode 1087 Effectively wild, a Fangraphs baseball podcast brought to you by our Patreon supporters. I am Jeff Sullivan of Fangraphs, joined as always by Ben Lindbergh of The Ringer. Hello, hello. How are you? Doing okay. I'm struck today by the fact that we have the exact same words when we do the introduction, and uh, I don't have anywhere to go from that. Do you have anything that you would like to discuss pre? I mean, whatever. This is essentially going to be a banter episode anyway. Who are we kidding? But do you have any? Do you have initial banter? I should say.
1: I've got a few things. Since I I brought up the David Phelps trade on the Ringer podcast, but. Only for thirty seconds and purely <laughs> as an excuse to play the Jerry DePoto trade song. So, do you have something substantive to say about David Phelps since you wrote a post about him?
0: Yeah, one one thing that I loved was that I could go to bed with the knowledge that it looked like there was a trade about to be completed, which meant that I knew what I was going to be writing about when I woke up, yeah. which is nice. Mm-hmm. It's always convenient. So, one substantive thing, good for me and my <laughs> writing stress. But beyond that, it's I don't know. I I think I might. I'm biased in that I find almost every trade interesting. I came really close to writing a full post the other day about the Rays picking up Chaz Rowe and then not even putting him <laughs> on their 40-man roster because I see I see the value there and I, I swear to God, I still think he's going to be a good reliever for them down the stretch. Chaz Rowe
1: is the, the author of one of the best gifts ever, right? Yeah. Or you know maybe not the author, he didn't create the gift, but the the subject of one of the best gifts ever.
0: Yeah, that crazy Frisbee slider that he throws. It's a really yeah. good pitch, and he was pretty good last year with the Braves when they had him throw it, like, all of the time. And it's not the first guy to be a reliever who just basically throw a slider all the time and see how it mm-hmm. works, but he was good. And he would have been in the majors this year if not for an injury. Now, granted, injury. Anyway, this isn't about Chaz This is about David
1: Phelps. So... <laughs> you really, really want to get that Chaz content out there some one way or another.
0: I'm just saying, he's, he's going to be a good reliever. He, he throws a lot of sliders, and it's good. Batters don't know what to do. They don't swing and win at the strike. They do swing as it's a ball. He's good. He's going to be on the 40-man <laughs> roster pretty soon. Solution to the raise bullpen problems? Kind of. David Phelps, he's legitimately interesting in a way, even beyond. Even beyond. If, like, Chaz Rowe, I think we can all agree, he's like a 9 out of 10 interesting factor. <laughs> sure. David Phelps is like at least a 33. So... <laughs> He is interesting, firstly, because he was really good last year, and uh, not a lot of people noticed because nobody noticed the team that he played for, but Mm -hmm. he was a legitimately excellent reliever, and he gained about three miles per hour on all of his pitches, which is a Mm -hmm. good way to become better. Nobody seemed to have told 2017 Giovanni Gallardo, but Phelps, at (laughs) least... Picked up on it, so he uh, he was throwing harder and he was pretty good this year. His numbers are a little worse, but he's throwing all the same stuff. So whatever. It looks like he's just a fine, pretty good addition to the bullpen behind Edwin Diaz and Nick Vincent. And the Mariners' bullpen could use the help. But what is extra interesting to me, at least, about David Phelps is that last year I don't know why it happened. I didn't care to go back and examine why. But in August of 2016, when the Marlins were bad, I think. They gave David Phelps five starts. He's been a swingman before. He started with the Marlins. He started with the Yankees. He's also relieved for all those teams, but they gave him five starts. Three of those times, he got up to 90 or 95 pitches, and he threw the same stuff. His fastball was barely any slower, and his other pitches were barely any slower. So I wonder, it's a small sample, and we don't know what that means in terms of Phelps maybe getting stretched out, but I wonder if for 2018, because he's got one more year of team control, wonder if the Mariners are looking at him as a potential starter? Because Carlos Carrasco is a guy who went to the bullpen and started doing better, and then the Indians moved him out of the bullpen, and he just kept doing what he was doing as a reliever, but as a starter. And Mm -hmm. uh, I wonder if this was Jerry DiPoto's way of addressing an immediate need in that the Mariners' bullpen is bad and potentially shoring up a rotation weakness for next year because it looks like they are going to need it. They won't have Drew Smiley. They very probably won't have Hisashi Iwakuma next year. Mm -hmm. So there's not a whole lot beyond James Paxton and what's left of Felix Hernandez, and and et cetera. Yeah, I think Phelps is legitimately interesting, and not only because uh, I was happy to give him one of the two posts I have to write every day.
1: (laughs) Yeah, before the season, Phelps was one of those guys who people, including me, were pinpointing as a possible Andrew Miller-type reliever who would be going multiple innings and coming in at different times and closing and not closing. I don't know. I haven't looked to see how closely his usage ended up resembling that model or whether he settled into a a pretty conventional role. I can tell you that he has basically thrown
0: an inning a game. He has been (laughs) extremely conventional. And the Marlins, I think, structured their bullpen in that way. They had a bunch of pretty conventional, well, I guess kind of Atypical, but they had a bunch of relievers which then allowed them to use their bullpen in a conventional way because they didn't have to stretch someone out but Phelps is still thrown a lot. So even though he hasn't thrown more than one inning in a game very often. He has still thrown a lot of innings in a lot of games, so kudos to him, I guess.
1: Mm -hmm. The uh, Marlins got four prospects? The Mariners had four prospects before this trade happened?
0: So, funny (laughs) thing about that. No, the Mariners had four people they paid, and were young, and wore Mariner-related jerseys.
1: Yeah. There were tweets I saw before this trade was consummated about the Marlins looking askance at the Mariners' system, which is... uh, (laughs) Kind of an insult because the Marlins system isn't really anything to, to speak about either. So is this just one of those things where you don't like any one guy, so you just take a bunch of guys? Like the fantasy baseball trades I used to propose when I played fantasy, and I just tried to unload all the garbage I didn't want from my bench onto people for someone good?
0: Yeah, pretty much. Jared Apoto's <laughs> made a bunch of these moves. He's yeah, uh, had made a bunch of like pulling depth from the lower, lower levels of the system to pick up guys for one or two years at the upper levels or or on the major league roster. So when you don't have anyone good in your system, then <laughs> you do every system does have if not good players, young players who might become good. Every single yeah. system Quantity. can get young players exactly. So what the Marlins got, they got this guy Brian Hernandez who uh, is the most highly rated of... That's damning with faint praise, but he is at least a young athletic outfielder. Now, sure, the Mariners could give a lot of money to any baseball-playing young... Latin American and put him in center field and say look he's very athletic and he could develop into something I don't know if he's going to be good nobody knows if he's going to be good but he's something I think they paid him something like 1.8 million as a a bonus a few years ago so you know who knows and then they gave up three pitchers one of whom gets a bunch of strikeouts but never throws strikes another one throws a bunch of strikes but doesn't get strikeouts so that's a fun little mishmash. And then there's another one who's just kind of splits the middle, is boring, but is a starter. I mean, when you take four, and they're all fringe guys, they would be nowhere on any good prospect list, but you take four, who knows? Honestly, just who mm-hmm. knows? You just need one of them to crack the major leagues for a little while and you say, look, it worked. But it's, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. It's so, <laughs> it's so hard to write about a trade like this because I don't know what to say aside from who knows about the young mm-hmm. guys, but they're not worthless, but they sure feel...
1: Worthless You know (laughs) Yeah right Well from one Former Marlins Reliever to another Sam Dyson I wanted to bring up Sam Dyson (laughs) Because Evan posted In the Facebook group Showing the Partial season stat lines of Sam Dyson from his Fangraphs page He has now pitched almost an equal number of innings with the Rangers and the Giants And he has had dramatically different results And you wrote something about Sam Dyson about a month and a half ago Maybe not even And you said it's anyone's guess what Sam Dyson has left And it looks like the answer is something (laughs) out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so you're the the fastest baseball savanter I've ever seen So I'm sure you're already (laughs) looking up whether his stuff has changed in some way Or or maybe fastest Brooks baseballer I've ever seen also But just based on the results Now, obviously most of this is the home run per fly ball rate Which varies dramatically for many pitchers And in these samples of 16 and two-thirds innings with the Rangers 16 and one-third innings with the Giants And his home run per fly ball rate with the Rangers was (laughs) 37.5%, more than a third of the fly balls he allowed became home runs. With the Giants, it is 0%. Now, that may have something to do with going from Texas to San Francisco. That helps, certainly, but a lot of it is just randomness, and maybe part of it is just not throwing as many balls down the middle of the plate. We haven't really looked at this in detail, but probably a lot of it is randomness. But he's also striking out a lot more guys. He's also walking a lot fewer guys. He has just been better, and even his defense independent stats look good or respectable or a whole heck of a lot better than they did with Texas. So early season storyline, Sam Dyson, who did as much as anyone, I guess, to put the Rangers in the position they are now where they're still considering selling in that he had a really historic run of blowing games and it was sad and people wondered what was going on and was it mental and was it physical. And anyway, it looks like Sam Dyson has straightened himself out to a certain extent, at least. Yep. Never really
0: was missing stuff. These are always tricky people to write about because the numbers were as bad as anyone's numbers I've ever seen in my life when he was pitching with the Rangers there. I mean, he had like twice as many walks as strikeouts and that wasn't even his big problem, which is absurd when you think about it in those terms. But, you know, he was still throwing hard. His stuff still looked kind of similar. And so it's not a shock to see him back on track looking almost exactly like he did a year ago. And as far as anything he's doing differently, well, new pitch, it turns out. Out. he's a uh, ever since he went To the Giants he's unveiled a Cutter sort of a uh, he's had a Slider for a while but he's been Throwing this cutter that if I am Interpreting this Brooks baseball Graphic correctly he actually Debuted this spring hmm. and he kind of Shelved it he threw it a little bit In spring training then he shelved It didn't throw it as a ranger went To San Francisco new pitch gave him Something else to throw and his Numbers are back on track so it Would be fun now I don't think Dyson has been good enough to Compel anyone but in theory the Giants could now turn around and Try to trade him for something and just pick up a lost player and flip yeah. him turn him into something and this is one of those change of scenery trades maybe where mm-hmm. it's like just last year remember when carlos gomez got dumped because he was horrible he was about as bad as you could imagine any player yep. being and then he went to texas he and went he to was texas great.
1: yeah mm-hmm. absolutely no explanation for that Yeah, I've gotten requests from readers, listeners to do a study on change of scenery guys. And is it a real thing? And can you identify who they are and what their commonalities are? And it's a really hard research to do. Like, how do you even define a change of scenery guy? They're Guys changing teams all the time, I don't know how to do that study exactly, but I'm sure that consistent with what we were talking about in the most recent email episode, which is that players do have feelings and emotions (laughs) and can be affected by their surroundings in certain ways, so... Clearly, it makes sense that there would be certain players who would benefit from a change of scenery. And it's not just the scenery. It's not like, hey, the view is nicer in this city than it was in that city. It's also all the other things. It could be the manager. It could be the coaches. It could be the teammates. It could be the media. Who knows? So there are many factors that, that can change, and some of them might matter. I think there are baseball players that we
0: could both name that seem like they don't have feelings, but I think that we've seen enough on the international stage to know that Sam Dyson is not among them. He is uh, he is <laughs> yeah. most certainly a pitcher who feels, and now in San Francisco, who might be feeling a little bit differently.
1: Mm-hmm. And one other thing I wanted to mention, because it has to do with your stat segment from the most recent email episode, I feel almost bad bringing this up, but evidently <laughs> not bad enough not. Not to So you did your stat segment about players who made the most outs in a single game, mm-hmm. and it seems like 11 is the major league record that you could dig up. And just a week ago, in an A-ball game, the Lexington Legends, the Class A affiliate of the Kansas City Royals, one of their players, Khalil Lee, struck out eight times in a game, and he also made 10 outs in that game. It was a... 21 inning game I believe so That's uh, that's part of it But according to a tweet From someone who works For the Royals and is not giving Very good PR to his player but <laughs> <laughs> Tweeted that Khalil Lee set A new all time pro baseball record With his 8th strikeout to end the 21st inning oh, the first no. ever player with two golden sombreros in one game wow that is unfortunate you <laughs> could at least sell the golden sombrero
0: That's, you know what's interesting is Khalil Lee this year 806 OPS he's been actually yeah. a good hitter mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. Lexington just not on this night eight strike oh. that is uh what was the what was the name of of that Red Sox player you wrote about we got an email oh, about it yeah Shaq. Shaq Thompson Shaq Thompson
1: yeah Shaq Thompson was a a football player a, a highly Ta- Outed football player and the Red Sox signed him And just looking at his stats I I guess it's okay to bring up now Because he has left this behind And he went back to football But yeah, as an 18 year old In 2012, this was in the rookie league He got into 13 games He had 47 plate appearances He struck out in 37 (laughs) Of those 47 plate appearances Which is just And he also walked 8 times So did he even put the ball in play like ever he <laughs> so that's he's got 45 that's
0: two that's two balls that's, in play
1: yeah two balls in play in 47 plate appearances which is really something he did not have a hit uh, but he did drive in a run and he stole a base and got caught stealing which is pretty efficient of him to Fill all of those columns in the the stat line, despite never really getting on base. So uh, good for him. He scored three runs, too, on those eight walks. So, yeah, that is one of the, the craziest lines you'll ever see. And he was just incredibly raw and very talented and athletic, but just hadn't played baseball much. And it showed. So... Yeah, that is not quite the case with Khalil Lee, but it was on this one day.
0: You might know how to confirm the major league record for strikeouts in a game is six. That's been yeah. done eight times. Jeff Jenkins most recently in 2004, although Matt Davidson and O'Double Herrera have both gotten to five this season. So it seems hmm. like with strikeouts up, it should be inevitable that we will shortly get another six and then it seems like we will shortly get our first ever seven, assuming nothing about baseball dramatically changes. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) right. Kahlia Lee, that is is sensational. I don't know how I missed out on that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, since you mentioned Matt Davidson, I feel like I owe him an apology. I I know there's a lot of overlap between my baseball podcast audiences, and on the most recent episode of The Ringer podcast, Michael and I were debating – Best-looking third baseman in Chicago because Johan Mankata has now joined Chris Bryant. Both good-looking guys. We didn't even mention Matt Davidson, and I've already gotten multiple tweets pointing out what an oversight this was, and it certainly was. He's a good-looking guy. Sorry, Matt Davidson. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I actually I have no idea what Matt Davidson looks like, so if you just give yeah, me one did second, I really, but uh, now I do, and I'm impressed.
0: Yeah. All right. It's a little more hair flair than I was expecting Yeah
1: mm-hmm. Okay, good for Matt Davidson,
0: good for him getting <laughs> an opportunity And you might remember that for a time this year He had the highest batting average in Chicago White oh, Sox franchise right. history <laughs>
1: Yeah At whatever it was <laughs> Yeah, yeah Good tweet, by the way, by you With the Jeff Mathis-Zach Greinke WRC Plus comparison Oh my goodness, I could not believe my luck when I actually <laughs> Now
0: in fairness Zach Rank's career WRC Plus has now Dropped one point uh-huh. Since that He has dropped from 52 to 51 However Jeff Mathis Holding steady at 49. <laughs> Combine the two, you get a league average 100. Congratulations. <laughs> and as somebody pointed out to me in response to that tweet, the odds are probably at least 50-50 that Zach Greinke knows that his WRC Plus is higher <laughs> yeah, than you think Max's. so.
1: Yeah, <laughs> definitely. He takes so much pride in his hitting and he reads fan graphs. So you'd think, yeah.
0: Okay. Do you have anything else? Nope. Okay. Let's see. Two quick things, I think. One, all-star break, Mike Trout was 2.2 wins above replacement (laughs) behind Aaron Judge. All-star break. You might remember that as Being a very distant one week ago, Mike Trout has played five games since. So all-star break margin 2.2 wins above replacement. Current margin 1.6 wins (laughs) above replacement. Here comes Mike Trout. He's gained three-tenths of a win. Aaron Judge has lost three-tenths of a win. I think Judge, last I checked, has one hit since the all-star break. Now, Mm -hmm. granted, he also had four bases rudely taken away from him in spectacular fashion. But, you know, it all counts. Mm -hmm. So... Mike Trout has already erased nearly 30% of the gap between him and the guy we thought might be as good as Mike Trout And it's taken him less than one week to do so Pretty spectacular
1: for yeah. Mike Trout Who has had a better week after the All-Star break? Mike Trout relative to Aaron Judge Or the Cubs relative to the Brewers?
0: <laughs> oh, uh, that yeah, so it sure feels like the National League Central is over uh, I, know <laughs> yeah. the, I know the Brewers are still in first place And that's the whole reason that you want to build the buffer But boy, is that starting to conform to expectations in a hurry
1: yeah, of course the Cubs were playing some pretty bad teams, but still, yeah, and it's it's partially confirmation bias. Of course, as we have acknowledged, we've all been waiting for that comeback to happen for so long that the second it looks like it is, we all say, yep, okay, it's over. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe it's not. Maybe they'll run into some better teams and things will diverge again. But uh, yeah, it's not looking great right now relative to how it was looking 10 days ago. Maybe the real fun is
0: going to be that we're going to end up with a three-team race. Maybe the Brewers are going to Mm. improve, and then the Pirates are going to hang around, too. They're not going to trade McCutcheon, not going to trade, I don't know, Tony Watson or whatever they're thinking of doing, not going to trade Garrett Cole. Maybe it's going to be like the last division race, or maybe now that the Twins are getting Jaime Garcia, maybe they're somehow going to keep up with the vastly superior Cleveland Indians. Who's to say? (laughs) But it's so hard not to get ahead of yourself, because at the end of the day, it is July 20th, and the Brewers are in first place. But. Mm -hmm. It's been a bad week, man. Yep. <laughs> yeah. All right. What else you got? So as somebody tweeted or emailed, I don't remember. I think you saw this. The Salina Stockade, who we recently discussed mm-hmm. in our, uh, I think it was our Monday podcast, the Salina yep. Stockade, the uh, the travel team in the American Association, the late substitute for the defunct Laredo lemurs. Mm-hmm. Such a late substitute, in fact, that if you go to American Association, is it even .com? question i should <laughs> american association baseball.com is uh is the actual url if you go there and then you hover over the teams pull down and you yes drop your cursor to uh the salina stockade you get american association baseball.com slash teams slash laredo so all <laughs> kinds of respect being given to the Stockade But yep. hold your horses The Salinas Stockade Who were 6-49 and 49, They lost the next game after our podcast Have won two in a row mm-hmm. They defeated the Sioux City Explorers On whatever day it was That was Mm -hmm. the day on which this game was played. That looks like it was (laughs) Tuesday. The stockade won the game 4-3, to knocking the explorers down to 500 and improving the stockade up to... Oh dear, I don't even want (laughs) to... Well, 125, which is a quarter of the way to 500... Yeah. And then the Stockade won again and they won in more convincing fashion. They beat Sioux City 8-3 to three, and another 9 in the game. So two wins in a row for the Stockade. A couple of things I've noticed from the box scores because they do have pretty detailed box scores on this American Association website. They have apparently there's a link to spray charts. Are you kidding? Wow. wow, okay, so there's a lot yeah, of information here.
1: Point streak, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Nine inning games, Salina, uh, Sioux City on Tuesday. Ordinary 4-3 to three game, nothing, nothing too unusual, but the game lasted three hours and eight minutes, so there's something going on in the American Association where game length might be out of control. The attendance is listed at a healthy 1,262. But also, if you look at the box score, it's not just a box score. It's very detailed. And then you scroll down, you see total batter's face for the pitchers. That's not unusual, but you also see pitches and strikes. So that gets a little more detailed. And then you keep scrolling, and you get a play-by-play, including pitch-by-pitch details. So, Mm -hmm. for example, ninth inning, I'll just... Someone's pitching to QB Meyer, PJ Francis... You know... I don't it doesn't matter. <laughs> Here's the point. Here's what the play-by-play reads. It doesn't just read QB Meyer put out. It reads called strike, ball, QB Meyer put out, six to three. So shorts up to first base for out number one. Jimmy Heck comes up next. swinging strike, ball, foul, put out, fly out to left field, and so on. I don't I haven't checked every single box score of the season because I'm not insane, but I have looked at two box scores because Solana has won two games in a row and they both have this pitch-by-pitch information. This is mm-hmm. At least as good information as we're getting from the actual minor leagues right now.
1: Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Who is tracking this? Well, is this the point streak interface? Is, is, is that what you're looking at? You I don't know. Why but that's, I should probably send you a link. That's what we had with the Stompers in 2015. And I wouldn't vouch for the quality of the data being at the level of minor league data, but at least the the type of data is there. Yeah, this is point streak. So Okay. There's just a, a stringer, like a in the Pacific Association, it was usually like a high school kid who would come and operate this interface during the game. And the data was pretty dodgy, but it was <laughs> it was there in some form. And we had John Chenier, our official stat keeper mm-hmm. of the Sonoma Stoppers, who then joined Baseball Prospectus and now joined the Mariners and is working in their front office. And he was helping us correct that data. So yeah, this is point streak. And and it's in a lot of lower level leagues Which is pretty cool that this is out there I should have remembered that Also, now a third thing that I just noticed
0: From this box score link that I just sent you So Salina beat Sioux City on Wednesday uh, That doesn't matter But there's a, a player I noticed in the Sioux City lineup That you might also notice if you look in it He's batting 7th in the lineup and Josh Fitters, yeah yeah, A 27-year-old, nearly 28-year-old Josh Vitters First round pick of the Cubs in 2007 yeah. Drafted 3rd overall Josh Fitters, let's see As recently as before 2010, he was a top 100 Baseball America prospect. This year, in the American Association, which is where he's playing, Josh Fitters is playing in the American Association. He's batted 182 times and he's batting 185, and his
1: OPS is 474.
0: Josh (laughs) Fitters having
1: a rough go of it. Yeah, I actually read a, a profile of him back in June. Tommy Birch wrote about vitters for the Des Moines Register. It was a a good story because there were, like, quotes from scouts saying that he still has the sweet swing that he had then. He was known for having, like, the, the nicest, aesthetically pleasing swing, even though the results ultimately weren't there. So he still looks like he has the skills, but his production just has not at all been there. So, yeah. But yeah, I have, I have some updates on the Salina Stockade myself. First, I can't say for sure, but there is a decent to very good chance that I will be seeing the Salina Stockade with my <laughs> own eyes <laughs> in just one week's time, roughly. They are returning to Salina, Kansas for one of their two series in Salina all year. And uh, I have made tentative plans to (laughs) attend. I'm going to see Celina. So I have not made my reservations yet, but I have priced airfare and looked at hotels i'm at that stage so can't guarantee it but i think there's a very good chance that i will be spending a few days in salina kansas very soon (laughs) okay so please explain yourself (laughs) well i was serious when i said that this would make a good story and that uh, i wanted to write about it i want to write about it so i'm gonna write about the salina stockade and i asked Hans Van Sluten of Baseball Reference To send me a list of the worst Ever pro records for Mm. A team and they are in the Running for a team that Has played this many games now There are teams that went like 0-11 in 1872 or whatever. But <laughs> and then they all died? <laughs> well, yes, subsequently they, they did. And then there's like the Brooklyn Atlantics went 2-42 and 42 in 1875. So there are some, some ones like that. But among teams that have played as many games as the Stockade have or will play, the only real competition here are the 2011 Carlsbad Bats, who went 7 and 57 and they were also a Pecos League team although they didn't have the excuse of being a Pecos League team that was promoted to the American Association. <laughs> so <laughs> they were just bad in in their own league. But for all I know, they were a semi-pro team that was promoted to the Pecos League. I don't know what their story is, but they were bad. So that's the the main competition here for Salina. And I've, I've picked up a few tidbits about Salina. And, uh, well, I guess I'll, I'll save them for the story, though. So I, I talked to the guy who put together their team and... They have been getting interest from other writers, not just me. So got to get there before someone scoops me on the stockade. So (laughs) I'm going to head to Salina, Kansas, it looks like. And I've already heard from an Effectively Wild listener who lives 15 minutes from (laughs) Salina and has offered his hospitality. So we have ears everywhere. Well, if you uh, if you
0: find that you'd like to have JD Drody on a podcast, just let yeah. me know. And uh, that's
1: actually part of of why I'm going so urgently is that he is re retiring. The, oh. the manager who has such an interesting backstory is, I guess, I, I haven't talked to him yet, so I don't know why. Maybe he's just had enough of of this <laughs> season, <laughs> but he is is retiring. Or or at least not managing the team anymore after August 1st or so So his last series, it looks like, will be this one in Salinas. So gotta get there if I want to see the authentic J.D. Drody 2017 Salinas Stockade This is outstanding, I don't know if you're going This is probably the kind of article that's either going to get 50 views or 500,000
0: And I haven't decided, but I cannot wait
1: (laughs) <laughs> yes, I'm hoping for the latter, but we'll see. It depends on the execution.
0: Well, I guess I mean we could just transition to having a Salina Stockade podcast for the rest <laughs> of the summer. I don't know. I know the trade deadline's coming up, but whatever. We've done our <laughs> David Phelps. What else is going to happen?
1: I know that's that was my editor's only concern. She she loves the idea. She said go, but you're also going to be watching the Salina Stockade on trade deadline day. <laughs> I said I'll do my best <laughs> to do both of those things.
0: I mean, and in fairness, the league is helping you out because all the trades are happening now.
1: I know, right. I'm I'm wondering if it's just going to be a slow deadline or whether it's just an incredibly active deadline that is spread out over a, a week or 10 days. So we'll see. Yeah, I guess there's
0: probably something to be written about why all these trades are happening so early, and that's one yeah. of those things that you could canvas and people in the industry would be like, What's the deal? And they'll be like, It's a fluke, and you'll be like, Okay, that's the article. <laughs> right. But it does it does seem like there's a lot more happening, and I know not all the trades have been big, but I went back to last year and there was I think only one major trade of any real consequence before like
1: July 25th Mm-hmm. Wasn't there one like a month early? Last year, well, or... like
0: maybe it was the year before. Like the Mariners traded for Mark Trumbo in June, mm-hmm. which was early and a last yeah. gasp by a dying administration. But <laughs> I mean, this would be easy enough to check. So I'm just gonna tell you how easy it would be to check using yeah. my words. As... I thought I
1: remembered like a starter being traded in June or. Late June or the first days of July, this could could be a phantom memory. Let's set a threshold of, I don't
0: know, I'll, begin, I'll start looking at June first. So we've
1: got, oh, James
0: Shields was traded in June, but he was terrible mm, at that point. Yeah. So he was traded, though, for Fernando Tatis, uh, actual player. <laughs> we've got a Kelly Johnson trade on June 8th, but nobody cares. Chris Coghlan was traded on June 9th, and I guess Chris Coghlan cared. Yeah. Chris Taylor, there we go, June 19th. <laughs> Didn't know that was going to be a big deal, but whoops, right. that was a... <laughs> That's a problematic move, Jared Poto. You could really use one of those. Uh, yeah. Chris Taylor moved on June 19th for Zach Lee. Wade LeBlanc was traded to the Mariners on June 22nd. So, in retrospect, within the span of two weeks, the Mariners had to go get Wade LeBlanc and Zach Lee. Probably didn't speak too well to their situation. Osvaldo well, Garcia, of course was they traded. make
1: a trade every two weeks, right? So.
0: Yeah, I'm actually, I have to filter the Mariners out of this web page. I'm <laughs> just going to make my computer overheat. We've got, okay, June 30th, Braves traded Deion Toscano and Bud Norris for garbage <laughs> to the okay. Contras. Fernando Rodney was traded on June 30th, so that's kind of, that's mm. kind of uh, the trade. is closing, traded him for a good minor league player who was subsequently had Tommy John surgery. Aaron Hill traded July 7th, Eric Joe. No, I'm not going to. Nope. Okay. So July 9th, we've got Brad Ziegler traded. Starts to matter. Mm -hmm. That's the Basabi trade where wasn't there the idea that they traded for the wrong Basabi?
1: Oh yeah I vaguely remember this story
0: Diamondbacks traded Brad Ziegler to the Red Sox for Jose Almonte and Luis Alejandro Basabi But I think if memory serves and I, I'm not going to double check But I think there were two Basabis and then people made fun of the Diamondbacks because they got the wrong one. <laughs> oh okay Drew Palmer ends trade July 14th That's yeah, the that's first right. big actual trade
1: Yeah I think that's what I was thinking of
0: Yeah And then after that, you've got like, I don't know, does if the Mike Mike Montgomery Montgomery trade, July 20th, Mm -hmm. July twentieth. you are now on the same page as me. And then the the Chapman trade happened on July 25th and everything started to go. So things picked up with a week to go and we're still a week and a half out. And who knows what potential there is for a bunch more trades. We are going to see Sonny Gray go somewhere, I'm sure. But Mm -hmm. outside of that, I don't know. Mm -hmm.
1: All right. We've got one last thing to talk about, right?
0: Yeah, I guess And this is good Because there's not so much We can really get out of this But uh, you linked me Just pre-podcast To an Mm -hmm. article from 538 By Harry Enten And the headline reads America has spoken The Yankees are the worst Now, the Yankees (laughs) Actually one of the better Baseball teams But this is an article Entirely about fan feelings I guess How -hmm. how teams are perceived And there was a study That they commissioned Of just under A thousand baseball fans Nationwide I did not have time To go into all the details I didn't even know If the details were made available But they studied the responses from roughly a 1,000 baseball fans that were pretty, I'm going to assume, representatively dispersed, and they just pulled them on how they feel about baseball teams. And so, as you can glean just from the headline, the Yankees are still the most hated baseball team in the Mm -hmm. league,
1: at least according to the people who responded to this poll. But also the most loved. (laughs) Also the most loved. They were the team with the highest share of the favorite team responses, but... Also, by far, the team with the highest share of the least favorite or or least liked team. Fairly unsurprising, the Blue Jays came
0: out last in most liked team because I'm pretty sure this is a poll of American, well, I guess United States Americans. Yeah. More. No, still not surprisingly. So the Blue Jays got less than 1% of the vote for favorite teams. So that's fewer than, I guess, nine people selected the Blue Jays. But then the Marlins and the Rays, very unsurprising, last place among teams who play in the United States. And they're tied with the Washington Nationals in the nation's capital. (laughs) Nobody seems to care about the Nationals. It's a pretty unsurprising list if you read up from the bottom Yeah, I don't know. The Rangers are maybe score a little higher than I would have expected since they still seem like they're kind of, I don't know, not under the radar, but you never really walk around and expect to see a bunch of Texas Rangers hats when you're traveling somewhere.
1: Yeah, I think what stood out to me about Well, on the favorite team list, you go Yankees, Red Sox, Cubs, sure, and the Cubs also show up as the most net favorable team, Mm -hmm. subtracting the dislikes from the likes. But I think what surprised me is that number four on the list of favorite teams is the Braves, tied with the Cubs at, at 8%. And that sort of surprises me. I guess it shows the power of the fact that they were broadcast nationally for almost 45 years, right? TBS, Braves Mm -hmm. baseball from 1973 to 2007. And so they were always on wherever you were. And so there are generations of kids who grew up and watched Braves baseball and maybe became Braves fans because of that. And also maybe they kind of have a region to themselves more than most teams do these results harry enton who wrote the article my former colleague at 538 they break it down by region as well northeast south midwest and west and the braves have a very large share of favorite team in the south just because there aren't a whole lot of close competitors there so that's probably part of it but it is Kind of interesting because they've been off TBS now for a decade and they are not good right now, but they are still evidently one of the most common favorite teams, at least, in the country.
0: And I think it helps to explain why if you go into any chat or comment section, it seems like a third of all the people who are in there seems to be people who like the Braves. So Mm -hmm. the Braves Twitter is known to be Well, You know, I'm not going to. I'm not going to. Okay, so this is a. Uh, I'm sure Ben can link this article for everyone's mm-hmm. perusal in the yep. uh, in the Facebook page. But it's a uh, further broken down. As been mentioned, there was a, a breakdown of favorite teams by region. It's you know nothing too surprising. Of course, in the Northeast, it's kind of a, a dogfight between the Yankees and the Red Sox, and the the Phillies are up there, but they've fallen on a harder times. So who's who's to say? Braves, of course, unsurprisingly, the most popular team in the South. The Cubs dominating the Midwest, and then you get out west, and you have the uh, the Giants, Dodgers rivalries up there, but the Mariners still holding tight, a decent third place, even though they've been less successful than the Diamondbacks or the Angels, who are by this measure half as liked as the Mariners are. You have the Rockies, who I guess kind of count, and then the Pity the Poor Padres and the Athletics, who are just barely more popular out West than the Boston Red Sox, who are liked by the opposite coastal elites. So mm-hmm. if you uh, scroll down, go to a different section. I think maybe maybe the biggest takeaway from this article was the net favorability table. Yep. I don't know. I think it's probably the most interesting one. It's also the one that lends itself to identifying the outliers, which is our favorite activity. So poll respondents were assigned 10 teams, I believe, is the method, and they were assigned those teams <laughs> randomly, and they were told to decide whether or not they viewed the team favorably or if they cared about the team at all. So the Chicago Cubs had a plus 53% net favorability rating, which means that 53% more people looked upon the Cubs favorably than unfavorably, and yeah. that is better than the second place St. Louis Cardinals, which I yeah. did not expect.
1: That is definitely all. the thing that, that jumped out at me first here. Yeah, the Cardinals with a a net favorability rating of plus 31 favorable, 19% unfavorable. That is pretty surprising. And I don't know what the margins of error here are. The samples aren't that huge, but still, it seems as if the Cardinals are broadly popular. And I mean, we know, I think, that they're popular in their region, certainly. Although, oddly, they're only the third most common favorite team in the Midwest region. The Cubs and the Tigers, both a little bit ahead of them there. So, this does surprise me because there is that widespread perception that there's been a big Cardinals backlash because they've won a lot and they've been good and best fans in baseball and and all of that and it's hard to say exactly what the origin of that reputation is but it certainly is a reputation and yet it would appear that that is not the case on a national level I don't know if that's more of a, a Twitter thing or a social media thing than a actually representative of the typical fan thing. But yeah, that, was definitely the most shocking takeaway to me here Probably the the
0: strongest easter egg in the article The strongest support that we just survive in a social media bubble Or us yeah. left-wing liberals always ignoring what's going on in the heartland Something else that was not, that didn't so much have attention called to it So the table was interesting because the Cubs had by far the highest net favorability And the Yankees were the only team to have a net negative favorability rating Mm -hmm. i don't know exactly why that is i guess people just
1: kind of generally like baseball teams more than they don't and that's fine yeah i guess it's like baseball's a regional sport right so no one really dislikes other teams unless they happen to be your team's rival so i guess if you if you like the team i don't don't know i guess everyone just feels kind of okay about any baseball team that is not one that they have to root against because it's the, the top rival or something like the The Colorado Rockies are the, (laughs) what, sixth team on this list or Mm -hmm. fifth team, fifth Fifth, team on the net favorability list, which is, I mean, (laughs) I don't know what to think of that. I I wouldn't have thought that there was a great positive sentiment toward the Rockies nationally, but also wouldn't have thought there'd be a a big negative sentiment at all, because why would you feel negative feelings about the Rockies, but wouldn't have expected them to show up this high.
0: Right, exactly. And so uh, respondents to this had, I think, I'm going to assume three options. I, I look at this team favorably, I think of this team unfavorably, or I just don't care. And so the Yankees the Yankees had the highest rate of respondents who expressed some form of caring. 92% mm-hmm. of people had either a positive or negative view of the Yankees. The team in second place in terms of g- getting the strongest response was pretty unsurprisingly, the Boston Red Sox at 84%. And then there are the Chicago Cubs, 81%. Not surprising. Those are very popular, well-known teams. Also not Surprising are the teams at the bottom 57% of people had an Opinion about the Rays which I guess That's fine (laughs) fittingly tied With the Oakland A's 57% as Well nobody (laughs) really Has a strong opinion about either team however As you identified Colorado Rockies The lowest 55% Of people had something Mm. to say about the Rockies And I I would assume that This is not so much people having A a strong positive feeling about The Rockies as, as it is just like well Sure. Yeah, they're harmless, right? Right.
1: Who, <laughs> yeah. Who cares? Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's it, like, if you're a Rockies fan, you like them, and if you're not a Rockies fan, you're indifferent, probably. Right. So, what yeah.
0: reason would anyone have <laughs> to not like? Why? Why would you actually dislike the Rockies?
1: Uh. Well, I guess if you're on one of the teams that lost to them in 2007, maybe. Like, if if you're the the phillies or the diamondbacks or something and and they beat you on the way to the world series so maybe that but uh, yeah otherwise i can't think of a great reason not to like the rockies yep but you've observed this before with fangraphs audience right which is not representative of the larger baseball audience and yet in this case maybe it is right you've observed some apathy on the behalf of rockies readers of fangraphs or the lack thereof yeah, we can't find them. We don't know where they are. Somehow, <laughs> somehow,
0: 6% more people had something to say about the San Diego Padres than the Colorado Rockies. I don't believe it. How does that happen?
1: <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Hopefully, the Rockies are changing that to some degree this season. But yeah, it's maybe just the, the time zone. They're kind of in the middle time zone-wise. And they have a long, undistinguished history for people who don't obsess about park effects so that could be part of it i find it amusing that so
0: the yankees of course are at the bottom with a,
1: a negative four favorability
0: net favorability rating the phillies mm-hmm. are second to last at plus four then you find the marlins at only yeah. plus six 33 percent of people said yeah sure and 27 of people said nah, no and i can't imagine that has anything to do with the marlins themselves it just has to be people who have some vague understanding of what jeffrey Loria is yeah and that that was just like the avatar in the poll they just decided well i i certainly don't remember ever having a feeling about the marlins as a as a baseball team
1: Mm -hmm. no yeah they're probably the most closely identified with their owner at this point and that's not good in this case And the Marlins show up also the the next table in the article is people were asked who is your most hated
0: team just to single one team out, and the Yankees very unsurprisingly uh, finished in first place twenty seven percent of all respondents identified the Yankees as their least favorite team. Very weirdly now, as I look at it, the Diamondbacks are tied for third. Yeah. I didn't know five <laughs> percent of people would say i Hate the Arizona Diamondbacks. <laughs> yeah,
1: that is really strange. It goes Yankees, Red Sox, Dodgers, Diamondbacks, Cubs, Nationals, Marlins. I, I I don't know what to make of that, other than maybe this is a small sample rearing its head here on this one. I, I yeah, possibly because these are pretty small differences. But yeah, I can't can't think of any reason why you would be that upset about the Diamondbacks.
0: And uh, I take some solace, I guess, in the fact that team listed in last place. So I think actually in last place, and then it's just all rounded to the same one. The Seattle Mariners apparently are the team that people least identified as their least favorite because, of course, they've been horrible. They
1: have the longest postseason. Yeah, exactly. They have the longest active postseason drought, right? Yeah, and the Royals are right after them who had the longest drought before them. And so then the Rockies, yeah, so not making the playoffs for a really long time is evidently a good way to get fans not to hate you.
0: Yeah, this is the kind of stuff that I wish that we Had rolling, like if we had this information For every year over some yeah. historical period Of time, then that would be great. I would love to analyze the Trends because one of the things I wanted to Ask instead of just basically reading the article Out loud on the <laughs> podcast, which is essentially What we've done, and I know we're about out Of time, but how much Longer do you think the Yankees will remain The most hated team in baseball Given that the things that I think made them The most hated, and justifiably so 10, 15, 20 years ago No longer hold true, they still have so many resources, but they don't outspend every team in baseball anymore. They're not winning every World Series, and of course, they're the most widespread brand that you see. They're very popular. It's New York City, for God's sake, but Mm -hmm. is that enough for the Yankees to remain the most hated, or is this going to gradually fade away in the same way that the Braves fandom will now that they're not on everyone's television?
1: Yeah, I mean, probably a lot of this is still some holdover from when the Yankees were a dynasty and they were winning the World Series every year, and That's within recent memory, and that's not going to be repeated. It's a lot harder to do that now. I mean, it was hard to do then, but it's basically impossible to do now with the number of teams you have in the playoffs and parity and competitive balance and all of that. So, yeah, you'd think maybe this would fade a little bit, but on the other hand, they're always going to have either the highest or second-highest payroll. They're going to be in the playoffs just about every year, most likely. And when we did the Yankees preview this year, That was the thing we talked to Jared Diamond about, as I recall, is that these Yankees seem less hateable than in the past, and partially that's because they haven't been good for a while, and partially it's because they're kind of building from within and they have likable players, and that was before Aaron Judge became a phenomenon. So, yeah, evidently that hasn't really been reflected in their numbers. I I guess it takes Time for wounds to heal and for love to fade, I guess, is one takeaway from this. If the the Braves are still super popular a decade after they left TBS, then I think probably after a century of Yankee domination, it would take quite a while for that ill will to, to fade also So I would expect the Yankees to remain The most hated team if Maybe not quite as hated And that was an, another question we had coming into this year Was would there be a big Cubs backlash and the Cubs Are most favorable ratings here And the question was like if they Look like they're going to be a dynasty Everyone loved the story last year If they start winning World Series Every year or making the playoffs every year Will the joy of the Cubs success wear off And to this point of course That has not been a problem for the Cubs this year Because they've been behind the Brewers for most of the year But that is another reason why you would want this As a a longitudinal study where you could look at it every year just so you could say like when you win the World Series like is that a net positive for your favorability because the country gets to see you play and maybe it's a good story and you entertain them or is it a net negative when does it become a net negative because everyone's sick of seeing you so it would be interesting to know when the inflection points are there.
0: Yeah, maybe maybe of some relevance there. So the the same number of people identified the Cubs and the Red Sox as their favorite teams. That's eight percent of all people said I love the Red Sox the most or I love the Cubs the most. The Cubs, of course, again had the highest net favorability rating, but the Red Sox still in fourth. But the Red Sox were at plus twenty eight percent against the Cubs, plus fifty three. And if you scroll down, ten percent of people said that the Red Sox were the most hated team, as opposed to four percent for the Cubs. The Red Sox, kind of similar to the Cubs, except about a decade or more further ahead in snapping that whole losing streak and losing the underdog status and becoming something of a baseball menace. And so you can still see that a lot of people like the Red Sox because they're sort of the the regional icon over there in, in their dogfight with the Yankees for fanhood. But you can definitely see that the Red Sox have become less popular over time, at least if I'm interpreting this correctly, in a way that one might expect the Cubs to also do, assuming that they actually win the division this year and then carry on forward as we think that they will. But I guess the Brewers still have a one game lead and so for now i think my number one takeaway is
1: maybe i don't hate the diamondbacks enough (laughs) yeah i guess not all right well we'll leave people with that you can support the podcast on patreon by going to patreon.com effectively wild five listeners who have already pledged their support include dylan Bredingham, jesse r ryan mclaughlin jody madrone and harris kingsley thanks to all of you you can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Effectively Wild. You can rate and review and subscribe to Effectively Wild on iTunes. All the reviews we get are emailed to me, so I do see them and I do appreciate them. Thanks to Dylan Higgins for editing assistance. Please keep your questions and comments for me and Jeff coming via email at podcast at or via the Patreon messaging system. We hope you have a swell weekend and we will talk to you next week.